This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 306 for Monday, May 13th, 2013, Accretion Discs. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing great. Weather's improving. Uh, I got. I went out last night with my. I got a new lens for my camera. I got a. T- I got a 14 millimeter 2.8 lens and captured some wide field astrophotography and it's awesome is, is it a a lens with a rectangular field of view still uh it's a little fisheye it's a little bit fisheye is that what you mean or no so like like with my fisheye lens it's actually a round part of the detector that it uses does yours fill the detector um it's i think it's cropping a little bit Okay, that's yeah, still cool. Yeah, but it, yeah, no, I mean it's so fast. I mean, I kept, I kept turning it down. It just kept getting this beautiful shot of the of the Big Dipper. So I haven't really explored it. And tonight, there's going to be this potential for a chance meteor shower. So I'm going to try and go out tonight and see if I can get some meteors on on camera. That's awesome. Yeah. Now it's probably too late for us. <laughs> by the time people hear this, it's probably already we've already already done the 24 hour uh, hangoutathon for CosmoQuest. But if we haven't, uh, June 15th 15, this 16. weekend. 16th, 24 hours of fundraising space madness on Google+. And it's never too late to donate. We actually really need your donations to keep our programs going. We're facing a lot of funding cuts, and we've seen a radical drop in donations for Astrosphere New Media this year. Um, So uh, if you go to CosmoQuest.org slash donate, you can see the links to donate both for citizen science and to keep media like Astronomy Cast going into the future. Perfect. All right. Well, enough enough talk. Let's let's talk space. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. So when too much material tries to come together, everything starts to spin and flatten out. You get an accretion disk. Astronomers find them around newly forming stars, supermassive black holes, and many other places in the universe. Today we'll talk about what it takes to get an accretion disk and how they help us understand the objects inside. Uh, so let's, what do you think is like the classic example of an accretion disk? I always use as sort of like a, an analogy, my bathtub drain. Really? Does that, does that make sense? You know, because you've like, you got your bathtub, you got tons of water in the bathtub, and then the, the water is trying to go down the drain and it backs up and starts to spin. And I guess flatten out. I would, I would never have got there from here. Really? Okay. Well, that's my analogy. Yeah. Sorry. Too much water to get down the drain. And so you get spinning no it's a perfectly good analogy it's it's just not one my brain went to and that's cool so what's your Um, analogy 
So, so I have to admit, I'm I'm enough of a geek that that for me it's flattened like a spinning pizza. Except in this case, it's usually a hungry object like a black hole that's stripping material off of a nearby neighbor. So it's a cannibalistic spinning piece of pizza. So, what are the forces involved? What are the what are the environmental conditions that we require for us to get an accretion disk? And what's going on? So, so in, in reality, any time that you have an accretion disk, what you have is some sort of a hole, whether it be the hole that's quite literally in your bathtub or the gravitational low point that's in the three-dimensional map of, of space using gravity that things are trying to fall into. So as things fall down the gravitational well, as they fall down the drain in your bathtub, um, conservation of angular momentum prevents them from actually falling straight down. So if you have even the slightest velocity to the left, right, above or below that potential well that things are trying to fall down, it's going to end up spiraling in instead of falling straight in. And, you know, I mean, you can have this this what seems like a just a perfectly content cloud of cold gas that doesn't seem to have any momentum in it, but it's when it starts to come together that it gets that rotation happening, right? And and so what you're talking about, I think, is is the type of disk that forms in the solar nebula model yeah. when you're forming a solar system. And in this case, you have a giant molecular cloud of stuff. And if you're able to somehow destabilize that giant cloud so that you only affect its center of mass. You hit it neither to the left, right, up, down, anything else of its center of mass. You simply provide the force to the center of mass. You might be able to get it collapsing straight in. But there's really no way to do that in the real universe that we live in. So the reality is, however you bump, however you destabilize that giant molecular cloud, you're going to end up imparting rotation so that as it starts collapsing, it starts also rotating. And that collapsing and rotating system ends up flattening into a disk the same way pizza dough flattens into a disk as you throw it up and set it spinning. And so what are the constraints or what are the, I guess, what are the environmental factors that are going to define, like, let's go to the black hole example, right? So you got your black hole material, it's destroying some cloud of gas or a star or something else. And this material is, is falling into it. What's going to define the, I guess, the size of the disk, the speed of its rotation, the it's heat, the temperature it's, of it. Well, so so let, let's break these down one sure. factor at a time. So let's start with the case if you have a single black hole and there's a single small measly red dwarf star that's about to seek death on the surface of the black Uh-oh. hole for some reason. It yeah. happens. Yeah. Uh, so we have the star falling toward the black hole. And... This is something that that you've actually seen probably a model for at a science museum where you have that funnel-shaped curving um, thing at the front of the museum that you're encouraged to put coins into to raise money. And as the coins roll around, they go faster and faster and faster as they get towards the center. Well, with that black hole that has the red dwarf falling towards it, as it comes in, it's going to end up going on ever-tightening spirals until eventually the red dwarf first gets close enough to the black hole that it hits hits its Roche limit. It hits the point at which it is no longer able to gravitationally maintain itself as a sphere. 
And as it gets closer and closer, it's eventually going to get shredded apart, spaghettified, just like a human being would as it falls in, turned into this long stream of atoms. And as those atoms now wrap around and around, you can imagine them forming a donut around that black hole. In this case, this this disk that's very tiny of this one star's material may actually end up forming inside the event horizon as the material works its way in towards that inner singularity. So here the key is object falling in can't fall straight in because it has this angular momentum. And so it ends up spiraling in, getting shredded along the way, and then eventually death, spaghettification and death. Right. But why, I mean, I guess, why do you get that disc forming around the the black hole? Why doesn't it just, you know, gulp and that's it? Star goes in and that's that. Well, the star can't just go in that. That's the thing is it, if the star it just happens to be that its velocity has it perfectly so that its center of mass is perfectly aligned with the center of mass of the black hole. Yeah. Boom, then, direct hit. Right. Any other case conservation of angular momentum says that some of its velocity is going to velocity is going to try and put it into orbit instead but the orbit is going to be a decaying orbit in most cases when you have black holes to deal with if if the if the velocity is trying to carry it past the black hole initially it it will probably end up in a death spiral instead now as the material gets stretched out you can imagine it initially forms a comet. Then it ends up forming a single ring. And as the material spirals in, it's getting to be a longer and longer spiral that forms essentially a disk. So think about coming in with a highlighter and you're drawing around. And as you spiral in, some of the material is disappearing as you draw. So it's like in, it's disappearing ink or something. But as you draw faster and faster with smaller and smaller circles, that material gets distributed out into a band around the black hole. Am I making sense? Yeah, you are making sense. And I guess the thing is, is that with a lot of these, you know, we see these quasars and, and active black holes, these accretion disks can get quite large. And Those are not a single red dwarf star falling No, of course in. not. No, no. I mean, that was, you know, we've, I've switched from a stellar uh, black <laughs> hole, you know, to a, say, a supermassive black hole. But even around a stellar mass black hole, if it's in a very, you know, if it's in a all-you-can-eat, uh, you know, star cluster, you know, it, that material is going to pile up, right? Right. So. <laughs> and then heat up. It's, it's, um, it's a matter of as the stuff comes in. Well, you just threw all these different things together that don't fit together. So, so I'm going to try and pull all these different variables apart. Sure. So, so we can have an accretion disk formed when a regular everyday star is forming. In this case, you have a giant molecular cloud that's in the process of collapse. As it collapses, um, the, the center heats up forming a star and there's a disk of material around it that tries to spiral all the way in to die. But eventually the radiation pressure, pressure of the forming star will stop that and start blasting things outwards instead. So that's a very simple accretion disk. In this, in this process, all of the material involved came from that initial molecular cloud. Now, you can also end up with an accretion disk when you have a compact object, a white dwarf, a neutron star, a stellar mass black hole that's next to another normal star, a red giant, a main sequence star, just everyday star happily burning something into something new in its core. 
in these cases, if those two objects get too close, you end up with a cannibalistic white dwarf or a cannibalistic neutron star sucking material off of that nearby star. It's said to fill its Roche lobe and the material is able to gravitationally escape and get pulled on to the other star, but it can't get there directly. So it instead spirals in. So in this case, you have the gravity of that compact object pulling and expanding stream of material off. And as it continues to eat the material, you end up with a disk that's getting larger and larger. It's getting denser as more material packs in. As it gets denser, it's actually able to reach the point where nuclear processes can start happening in that disk, in which case it might explode in a fury of nuclear reactions. So, so you end up with with accretion disks in the situation of binary systems. These are called cataclysmic variables in general. And then, of course, you have the supermassive black holes, and they're eating everything from stars to planets to massive amounts of dust and gas that are falling in. And that material generally gets gravitationally flung in through a process of galaxies colliding. And so, you know, is the material that's piling up around the the black hole, for example, I mean, you know, you said that it starts to get like star, like almost the the environment of star formation. I mean, it's a ferocious it's, environment, it's, right? It's it's worse than the the um, conditions of star formation. It's actually like the conditions inside a star. So when you're looking at a supermassive black hole's accretion disk in something like a quasar, an active galactic nuclei, in these cases you have a accretion disk that has many, 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 many stars worth of mass in it. And this vast accumulation of matter is gravitationally bound together by a supermassive black hole. So once nuclear reactions start happening in that giant disk, the disk doesn't explode and fall apart like it does in a cataclysmic variable. The, the accretion disk around a cataclysmic variable can actually um, essentially go poof and, and then has to strip more material off of that nearby star so it can rebuild again and explode again. That's where the repeating aspect of some supernova, right. not supernovae, some classic novae come up. I want to talk more about that, but, I, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to cataclysmic variables in a second. But You're I'd like jumping to start, all over. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You brought up cataclysmic variables, not me. Um, but no, just with the with the material, you know, becoming like the inside of a star surrounding right. a supermassive black hole. That's crazy. So, yeah, it's, it's just density. It's not crazy. I mean, this this is the thing. These are completely logical, relativistic objects. So they're hard to understand, but they make perfect sense if you understand general relativity. Uh, so, aren't, there, so, aren't there like two people in the... No, that's quantum no, physics, No, that's right? string theory. String theory, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this, this is completely straightforward. This is something they teach in a normal first or second year graduate course. Uh, it's, it's a matter of you strip the mass off. It's bound together gravitationally. It gets sufficiently dense, nuclear reactions start going, nuclear burning starts going. This is why when you look at quasars, they have this extremely hot disk of material that's radiating its own light. That radiating its own light is coming from, in in some cases, nuclear reactions going on inside the disk. Yeah. Uh, and now one of the other factors that you get with these supermassive black holes is you get these jets and, yes. and and with you know with the accretion disk so what's going on with the jets so so the jets are 
are a byproduct of having extremely hot material hot material, in this case hot gas, uh, gets rid of its electrons. It becomes ionized. It's no longer neutral. Anytime you have charged particles, so not neutral, charged particles that are moving in a circle, they generate a magnetic field. So this rotating disk of highly charged particles, highly hot particles, uh, is going to create a magnetic field. And the strength of that that magnetic field is related to how fast the material's uh, spinning, how fast the entire disk is spinning, not individual atoms. Uh, so take that, and then also how much stuff is in that accretion disk. So when you have a massive accretion disk going around something like a supermassive black hole that will have massive amounts of gravity, accelerate it to massive orbital velocities, you end up with massive magnetic fields. So you have these extremely powerful magnetic fields that are flinging charged particles that get into that core out at relativistic speeds. Relativistic speeds. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, these things can can push all the way across entire galaxies. Um, that's an understatement. You end yeah, up yeah. With, across you end up, between galaxies. Yeah. You end up with jets of material, radio jets that are significantly larger than the galaxy itself. So when you look at the radio jets and you fit them into your entire field of view for just even making them in the background on your computer screen, um, the little galaxy in the center almost disappears for a lot of these systems. Wow. And one of the theories, and I know you don't like the sort of, you know, some of the more fringy theories, but is that some of these galactic jets may be responsible for periods of star formation in completely other galaxies. Yeah, I, right? I don't have a problem with that one. That That yeah. is simply gravitational interactions uh, versus getting thwomped by another galaxy's yeah. uh, field. So uh, in some cases, the jet's flying off. You can actually see them compacting material as they interact with the intergalaxy uh, medium, the intercluster medium. Yeah. And this compacting of material can lead to star formation. And if another galaxy makes the mistake of passing through one of these jets, that could regularly yeah not not a big deal to form star formation and also ionize stuff as it goes just at a distance you know you're yep. just like shooting another galaxy with your big laser beam your big jet so that's that's really cool so so you started to sort of go to cataclysmic variables and all these other so let's talk about some of the kinds of examples then where we're going to get these accretion disks now we've already talked about sort of black holes and the supermassive black holes and you get the situation where the gravity of the black hole is you know tearing apart these stars and and turning them into spirals and and building up these disks around them but but you know wherever you get gravity you can get these these kinds of situations. So what are some other examples of where we get accretion disks in astronomy? Well, to, to go from smallest to largest, um, it's thought that when the Jovian planets were forming, they probably had some sort of an accretion disk around them as they sucked material out of the protoplanetary disk that was around the sun. So you can have giant planets as they form actually having an accretion disk of material that's feeding them the hydrogen that ended up becoming the bulk of the gaseous planets. You can have any old star that's in the process of forming, having um, 
an accretion disk around it until it gets hot enough to start blasting the material away. Well, what about a situation like, you know, we talk about how Mars with Phobos, because it's below the Roche limit, it's going to be torn apart in the next 10 million years or so and turn into a disk of material around Mars until it all crashes into the planet. I mean, that's, is that sort of the same effect going on? And and this is one of those things where it's hard to think of that as much of, um, as much as an accretion disk, since it's not something that got captured from far, far away necessarily, um, as, as to think of it as an unstable planetary ring. But at a certain point, that just becomes semantics. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so unstable planetary ring and accretion disk really, if you look at the physics of how they die, are about the same thing. Right. In that you've got these gravitational tidal forces tearing something apart, putting it into a ring, and then consuming it. <laughs> um, so, so now you talked about cataclysmic variables. And that, I mean, that's such a fascinating process. I, I want to sort of spend some time just talking about those. So what is a cataclysmic variable? It is a star that is near a, it's a compact object, a white dwarf, neutron star, black hole, something along those lines that is capable of capturing um, material off of a neighboring star, a regular main sequence star, a giant star. And as the material gets streamed off of its neighbor, it forms a disk that periodically explodes. And then what? I mean, it, it, when you say periodically explode, so so what's the? I mean, it's it's so it's building up, yeah. and then it, it detonates. Mm-hmm. And what does the detonation do to kind of reset? How does it reset the system? It just causes all of the material that was in the accretion disk to go up in essentially radioactive, not flames, but radioactive processes, and. Uh, clears out the system to start all over again in some cases is there some sort of end point to it you know um, like well it, will it go on it, forever or it well it can't go on forever because eventually it'll use up all the material in that neighboring star but it will keep going as long as there's material that can be stolen and what happens when it does use up all that material then it does it sort of finish it off its it just finishes off its meal yeah, and, and it shuts finishes down its meal yeah yeah yeah, sorry. There's that's that's all we that's all we had to give. <laughs> well, and and it can actually go a rather catastrophic way, uh, where you can have a white dwarf that, rather than politely blowing up the disk of material around it now and then, simply consumes it. So if you feed it just right, the material will build up on the surface of the white dwarf, and um, eventually, if the white dwarf gets too large, it will explode as a type 1a supernova, in which case it ends forever in a rather catastrophic way. Right. And helps us understand the size of the universe. Yes. Right. Um, Okay. So now what about protoplanetary disks? Because I think that sort of, you know, we talked a bit about how Jupiter and stuff are forming, but, but I mean, this is sort of the whole method of formation of our planets, right? Well, it, it as as I was saying earlier, it's it's just as simple as you have a large molecular cloud. It becomes gravitationally unstable for some reason, begins spinning as it collapses. In the very center, you begin to form a star, and when that star lights up, instead of continuing to consume material around it gravitationally, that radiation pressure stops the accretion process and just leaves a protoplanetary disk behind. Uh, oh, a little piece of trivia here. Do you know what the study of accretion disks is called? No. It's called disco seismology. 
I have never heard that despite working with many people who study a Christian this is, uh, this is This is just what Wikipedia says. Okay. Now, it could be someone has, has hacked it and, uh, you know. Or that's nope, what they nope, call it, go. one place. Yeah, no, disco seismology and QPOs confront black hole spin. So now are the now I just want to go back to black holes for a second because I love talking about black holes <laughs> and I know people love listening about black holes. Uh, I mean, supermassive black holes are are rotating in many cases at the very limits of, you know, as predicted by Einstein, relativistic speeds. Does that have an impact when you reach essentially the final speed limits of of the laws of physics, does that have an impact on the accretion disk? I, I don't think we have enough evidence yet to say. We're just starting to be able to use the observations that we have of the inner edges of accretion disks to start to prove, yes, we're pretty sure we actually are seeing um, evidence of black hole rotation. And and so it, it's one thing to have theories that predict that, but we're still working on gathering up the evidence to know if these theories are true and to start to figure out if there are effects. One of the problems with studying accretion disks is Thankfully, there aren't any that are nearby. Yeah. So, so when we're studying them, we can't get the fine-grained measurements that we might want, um, and so it's hard. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's a just it's a an, it's an amazing sort of process that that we see in a lot of directions, and really, it just comes down to if you have something that can be torn apart by some other center of gravity, you're going to get a disk. And, and what I really like about uh, working with accretion disks is it's the exact same physics across this huge parameter space of different masses. And, and it's one of those times where nature's basically allowed you to see the experiment run at the planetary scale, to see it run at the st- small star scale, to see it run at the large star scale, to see it run at all these different supermassive black hole-sized scales. And over and over, it's the exact same physics just played out with a different twist. So I could just use the same formula, the whatever formula I learned the first time around, I can yeah. just apply it to the different object? Yeah. That is really cool. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you very much, Pamela. It's been my pleasure, Fraser. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+ every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson.